Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss local political hot topics in the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Labonte. And I'm Tim Hannafin. And we're recording this episode of NV Politics on February 23rd, 2023. So let's get into it. All right. So first things first. I apologize for my raspy voice, but I'm excited about our topics today, which are going to be around the Nevada 2022 campaign funds uh, based on the Follow the Money series from the Nevada Independent. We're going to talk a little bit about energy, uh, if anybody else has been upset about their power bills lately. I know I have. And tourism? (laughs) more on that to come in our What Broke Your Brain uh, segment. So, hi, Tim. How are you doing? Hello. Doing good. Doing good. (laughs) Trying to to just make sure I got everything together here. Oh, yeah. There's lots lots to to talk talk about. about. Yeah, I want to make sure I got it all. Okay. Well, can't find it, but we'll hope I can remember what my notes were because I remember (laughs) having some juicy ones. Well, do we want to break into the Nevada 2022 campaign funds and kind of talk about the highlights of where the money went, where it came from, uh, and kind of what that meant or, or what repercussions it had? Well, and, and something else that we do want to highlight, especially touching on this topic, is we are two people. And this is an ever-developing topic and story simply because as someone who has filled out a campaign finance report once or twice in their life, they're dense. They're not easy to read through or understand, let alone the fact that we're now going through everyone's in the legislature. So we're going to let some well-paid interns for some news agencies actually dig through all that and we're going to pull out the fun stuff. Sounds like really fun work. (laughs) Oh, there's a reason why they they generally are interns. All right. Um, Would you be cool if I just jump in with some high-level dollars real quick? Go ahead. uh, And then we'll break it down a little bit. So all of the money that was tracked, at least, that we're going to be talking about today um, was specifically just related to actually elected officials, And so the total contribution to the 63 members of the legislature was $13,028,059. And so if we were to break that down by party, the Democrats raised $9,807,933, and the Republicans raised $3,220,126. So that's just a real high-level breakdown by party. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit about where the money came from, um, what it meant, what... Uh, records were set too. I I think it would probably be beneficial to talk about that. So Tim, I'll just hand it over to you real quick. Well, I I just want to kind of start talking through some things or at least highlighting some things because we look at a lot, like I hear that number and that's a huge number just being funneled into a state 
you know, assembly, estate, you know, proper, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I look at some of the breakdowns and yes, assembly speaker Steve Yeager is the top recipient of some of those dollars. And I'm not going to say the number yet because I just want to break down why he might be. He was the leader of policy coming out of the last session. He was speaker. He was high up in in the assembly back then. He's had, he, he can be the one who's looked to and thought of as being the contributor and the driver for a lot of the policy happening within our state, especially over the last two years. So we traditionally will always see more money being towards party leaders within the state proper because they can more or less say they've done more. Now, when we look at the number and realize that it's just shy of 1 million, uh, you know, 875,000 and change, that's an extremely large number. Why it was so large, I couldn't necessarily tell you too much. I'm doing some brief reading on the person who tried to run against him. It looked like it was a relatively close uh, race overall. So he was in a in a highly contended race that might have explained some of the raising overall. However, I don't know how much Ryan Fleming was able to raise. Another key thing that I do at least want to highlight before we we look at, oh gosh, this is horrible. There was (laughs) some money, still a small amount, but some that was raised after the fact. This is, you know, pay off the debts, campaigns are expensive. You will raise some, but that only accounts less than 1 million of what was overall contributed. We were also, I don't know how to break this down any other way, but you look at the party disparity and there was a higher amount spent on Democrats than there were on Republicans. Mm -hmm. There could be just where the the money was coming from. We see one of the largest areas that spent money was unions. And Mm -hmm. if anyone knows anything about politics in the state of Nevada, Unions are a driving force for Democrats. Some unions are specifically called the the Democratic Work Unions. Even though they're not actual unions, they're just referred to as that in organization circles because it's like, yeah, well, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're stumping for Dems. That's just how they go. That could be where some of that money came from. But even so, there is the way that I kind of look at it there was more money spent on Republicans than I would have expected when you see the amount spent on Democrats because Democrats absolutely, we outspent. Slayed. Yeah, we, we absolutely, we, well, oh gosh. Okay. I'm already using the wrong term. We didn't outspend. We outraised. Yes. We don't want to say outspent because we don't know if We've, I'm not looking at numbers about them spending. I'm just looking at them raising said money. Yes. Democrats outraised, be it we were in more contentious races, be it we thought we were going to lose a little bit more, be it Republicans were in safer areas, so they didn't have to raise as much money. They were in safer spots. It's. I don't know if it's well known or if it's even known or if it's even true, but there are rumors that a lot of Democrats keep, or not a lot of Republicans, not Democrats, will keep their money not on hand. They keep it in, in their donors' pockets. They keep hmm. it a phone call away so that on actual CNE reports, they're not seeing it. Yeah, I was wondering might- about that myself, Tim, when it comes to um, the fundraising for Republicans specifically. 
seeing the disparity, right? So in the assembly, the Democrat average fundraising was 212,000. The Republican was 149,000. In the Senate, the Democratic average was 309,000 and the Republican average was 146,000. And I couldn't help but wonder, to your point of, you know, maybe they didn't feel they needed to. I was wondering if potentially some of them are just incumbents who are comfortable and they don't feel that their particular seat was at risk. Uh, and so why, why make those phone calls that you alluded to? So I don't know, you know, that's just speculation, but it was something I was thinking about. Without being on the inside, it's really hard to know why the money was spent this way. I'll yeah. say from the outside, it's almost surprising because years and years and years, we've been told Republicans spend more than us. Republicans raise more than us. Republicans right. have more money than us. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, we raised a whole lot more. The, yes, we did. the spending is, I don't know. I have a gut inclination that it feels more equal, but that's probably because the majorities are like, we have closer to a supermajority and or we have a supermajority in both mm -hmm. sides of the government. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Republicans raised as much as they did in a small minority, to me, speaks speaks volumes. It's, it's a, it's a bet head. It's a hedging of the bets. It's making sure that everyone's happy. It's making sure that, you know, mm. I heard so maybe this you're a saying lot. from like a, a ratio perspective, um, it, all things considered, maybe it was actually decent. Yes. I think it's better to break down at least the larger areas of why or who was spending the money. Cause those are easier questions to answer. The largest yeah. one being, you know, unions were a large mm -hmm. spender, but then we had large lobbying efforts from the real estate coalition, yep. from the MGM gaming coalition and yep. from citizens of justices. All of these are, you know, hugely impactful on our state moving forward, all on speculation, but just some ideas. Real estate, we all know there's massive development. We all know that we're trying to build more houses and making sure we've got possible renter, renter cap bills coming up with different assembly bills that I sadly mm -hmm. don't know off the top of my head right now, but I know <laughs> that they're, <laughs> they're in there. We need to, yep. if we can get those numbers, let's, I'll try and get those when I'm done talking, but we've got you know, real estate is a big thing, but then this directly ties into the next one of if you want to build anything in the state, you have to secure water to build the thing. <laughs> I can't, I don't know why MGM would be donating so much to our state legislature other than trying not to be taxed. But if they know anything about how our state constitution is done, it's not going to be easy to tax them. So I'm wondering if it has to do with the resort fees that Biden has been you know, waving around wanting to get rid of. It, and so maybe it, they have a bit more incentive. It could be something with that, but I would see them doing a larger lobbying effort on a on a federal level because yeah, anything that Biden talks about supersedes anything our state legislature is doing. Yeah. So my biggest, and this is my only thought, and this is speculation, but last year there was the article that was published on the largest water users in Las Vegas. And 10 of the top 15 or like eight of the top, a, a scary number of the top 15 to 20 were all casinos. Sure. And MGM controls 14 of the casinos in Vegas. <laughs> They're going to be a large water user. Yeah. We're running out of water. Um, 
I, I can see that playing into some part because every, every legislature you talk to is saying it's the year of water. We have more right. and more bills or BDRs about water, water rights, and making sure that we have that than we've seen in years prior. That's, and I don't know, but that's my thought of why MGM might be donating. Oh, that's a good the guess. The final one, uh, and I still think it's important, is the Citizens for Justice, which is a coalition of lawyers within our state. The news article, we are, I am referencing Nevada Independent, so I'm going to at least mm-hmm. quote my source here, but they're speculating that it might have something to do with malpractice and malpractice lawsuits within our state. This cap, could have, right? yeah, putting a cap mm-hmm. on it. This could have, you know, large effects on our overall health care within our state. If we could get a cap on these malpractice suits, it might actually encourage more doctors coming into our state. It might encourage them because now they don't have to get as expensive malpractice insurance. They're not as at risk. One of the largest deterrents of opening up a practice is malpractice in America. There's a reason why doctors don't open up small practices in rural towns. It's, it's hard to do. Well, we are a very litigious people, us Americans. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I think those are all great points, Tim. Uh, to your point, you mentioned right the top contributors being the labor and union groups, real estate and development, and the gaming sector. And that actually made up one-third of the more than 13 million uh, contributions that came in that we already referred to. So those, those are big players for sure. Um, a couple of other highlights that I just wanted to throw out there is honorable mentions when we talk about the actual candidates. The top 10 fundraisers were, um, nine of them were women and nine of them were Democrats. And so, I don't know. I just thought that was, uh, interesting. Pretty cool. Uh, nearly 75% of all big money contributions went to democratic lawmakers. I think kind of to one of your points earlier, Tim, I mean, if they're already, in the supermajority, it makes sense to give them your money so they can do what you want them to do for you. <laughs> uh, so I think that's important to keep in mind. And yeah, I think I think that's all I have uh, around the campaign fund. It's been fun to see this information coming in from the Nevada Independent on this series and just to see how this influences lawmakers in the future. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this next topic, I'm going to be honest, it's a little self-serving. I personally have been very frustrated with my energy bill as of late. It has doubled in price over the last two years, and I was really wondering what was going on. So when I saw this post from 8 News Now about the Assembly Committee on Growth and Infrastructure convening for the first time for the, uh, for this session and doing it with NV Energy and Southwest Gas. The headline said that they were grilling them. Uh, I think it was a little clickbaity, if I'm honest, because it sounds like it was more of a, hey, let's get to know each other. Uh, but they they definitely did not waste an opportunity in asking more questions around what is going on right now with Nevada's energy. And so uh, Democrat Sarah Peters, who's uh, from Reno, mentioned that power bills were a third higher 
and that included when she had a power outage for a week. Uh, And so she was wanting to find out, hey, what's going on? Nevada Energy shared that there is growing pressure on the electric grid and that there are significant challenges in meeting the demand. So um, they also explained that they are intending to use the federal funds from the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act to develop large-scale projects that will support um, meeting the high demand. However, those large-scale projects, they take a while. And so um, there's, I, I can't anticipate this coming down any sooner, um, which I'll also dig into a little bit more about why we can anticipate really high uh, energy bills in the future. So when lawmakers addressed Southwest gas, it was mentioned that consumer rates have skyrocketed because the price of natural gas has skyrocketed. So just for reference, Nevada currently, um, more than two-thirds of Nevada's electricity is produced by natural gas. And so this is something that is really important because historically, natural gas inventories, uh, they're a strong predictor of natural gas prices, kind of like oil, (laughs) Um, And I found this really great Forbes article that explained a bit more about what's going on. And ultimately, yes, um, the U.S. has increased our natural gas demand generation just over time in an attempt to phase out coal. However, The use of something called LNG, which is liquefied natural gas, uh, that has increased significantly. And so this is also um, being exported, again, as part of the global gas market. And so it makes it a little bit more susceptible to world prices. And so here we go. Global talks, right? The war in Ukraine is not helping. (laughs) Um, Uh, Exports have increased. Uh, It's leaving less supply domestically. And then, like I said, on top of all of this, um, not only is Nevada's main resource for our energy natural gas, but we are currently experiencing some of our lowest temperatures in years. In comparison to last year was actually one of our warmest winters on record. And so... Really, due to the laws of supply and demand, natural gas is expensive. Uh, And we need to warm our houses while uh, there is snow outside my window right now and on the ground. And so it sucks, but it's very probable that our energy bills will continue to be high. Tim, do you have any other thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm just sitting here trying to think like, okay, so... We're up because natural gas, it's hard to get more. We're sending more to Europe because we're buying less from Russia because that's one of Russia's Mm -hmm. largest exports. Mm -hmm. Liquid natural gas is inherently going to be, well, not inherently. I can't say that with actual authority. I believe would be more expensive than traditional natural gas because it's going through both a refinement and Mm -hmm. a for lack of a better term, containment process to get it liquid. Because, you know, it's hard to turn a gas into a liquid just via chemistry (laughs) normally. Like, it's not easy. 
unless you know you, you pressure and concentration like you, <laughs> there's so an extra process. process in there <laughs> yeah 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 there's more to it we have things within our state across the board to try and increase our generation from biomass, geothermal, solar, uh-huh. and wind. Mm-hmm. We have some of these projects going. You know, we have people trying to get off of NV Energy's grid and install solar panels on their houses. Mm-hmm. But there's always this flip side. I always come back to one answer, which people hate, so I'm not going to get into it in this podcast. But, you know, we... We have to be looking at more and we have to be recognizing, hey, gas is, natural gas is going to be expensive, so we can't just keep doing what we're doing. We have to start looking for alternatives. We have to start going in other directions. I also think it's a cop-out because <laughs> I am paying Envy Energy more and my service has arguably not improved. I remember being shown a petition in college saying, hey, sign this to try and break up the monopoly of Envy Energy. Yeah. And naive college me was like, I don't think they have a monopoly. You could put solar panels on your house, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, I was dumb. Um, (laughs) You just didn't know. It was actually, it was was a ballot initiative. And I remember people making a big deal about Oh, yeah, they might be a monopoly, but infrastructure will be so unstable if we break them up. Have you seen California? <laughs> like, that was the whole point. Yeah, it's like, and well, it the like, infrastructure yikes. seems pretty, uh, I don't know, not good right now. <laughs> uh, just, you know, to Sarah Peter's point, there are, you know, blackouts that we were experiencing that we mm-hmm. haven't experienced yet. It seemed... They were ill-prepared for some storms that happened earlier on, and it it did seem highly reactionary. The yeah. one thing that I keep kind of pointing out, and I'm now really scratching my head at this, is whenever I travel to Vegas, I haven't looked too hard, but I'm going to look really hard the next time, I don't notice as many power lines. Hmm. I don't see them. I don't remember seeing them. I don't remember them being a staple like they are in Reno, where sure. you see them going up and down the roads and across the roads and mm-hmm. blah, 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 and like a low-hanging, yada, 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 because they're underground in Vegas. Yeah. A large problem that we had was trees or snow or weight falling on the lines and tearing them mm-hmm. down, causing outages. Why are they not buried? Yeah, it's going to cost money. Things cost money. Things cost money to build because we live we're in a capitalist society. It. We're already like, paying we're, the money. We're already paying for it. <laughs> if it's going to cost more, ask the government for a little bit more money the next budget around because you know mm-hmm. the government loves to just write blank checks <laughs> and get the money for the projects. Like I, I know it's more than that, and I know that we're horribly simplifying a large process. We need to at least be thinking out of the box and more than a few. Agreed. There's my rant. That's my thought. Well, hey, listen, we're going to jump into the next segment, which is what broke your brain this week. And I have a rant. So I'll let you go first, and then it's my turn to rant. <laughs> okay, well, my, my rant is small, but I think it does kind of go into this. And I want to first preface my rant with Nevada State Treasurer Zach Conine. Great guy for putting this program forward, it's absolutely huge. And I'm not saying that the program like this is horrible in any way, shape or form. 
but I was reading this week on the program where he's allowing newborn babies to be brought into the office to spend more time with their mothers as a way of, you know, making back the fact that the state doesn't have paid paternity leave. Wow. So he's trying to give them more time with their kids. I love that. That's huge. That's amazing. I'm not saying that this program is horrible. What I'm saying is the fact that a program like this needs to exist in America to begin with is (laughs) problematic. Because when you look at other countries, they have months of paternity leave and they have months of time Mm -hmm. where you can actually spend time with your child and develop that bond and have that, that great level of parenting. And again, kudos for Zach Conine for putting a program like this in. I guarantee you it's because he is a father and he knows what that time is and how important that is to a parent. So huge on him for it. But the fact that we have to, we don't have, you know, the paid leave, we don't have enough for Mm -hmm. our parents in this state or in this country is, it hurts. It hurts my brain a lot. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, But also like, I'm actually really impressed to hear this being presented by a man. You know, so that's exciting. Uh, yes. That just shows, you know, some progression here. Well, and and the main the main report is on one of the people in his office. It's it's a mom who is you know bringing her daughter into work because this was her second daughter and she yeah. like her first daughter was a COVID baby, so she could spend time with him. Wow, can't do that now, so you got to get creative. And yep. he's just like, well, here's the program. Bring the kid in. Nice. And, I love it. And what I what I loved because I was and I don't know why I love this, but when I was a tour guide for the Capitol, I could just imagine someone doing this even at like the national capital or our state capital, but she would give tours of the building with her with her baby in one of those like baby carrier yeah, yeah. things, like yeah. whatever it is on the front. And I was like, that's, mm-hmm. I would love to see my tour guide just like <laughs> nursing a baby. Like, and this is the picture of the state when we were, you know, like, like imagine Leslie Nope in Pawnee, uh, just like giving yep. the tour of the Capitol while carrying around her twins. Like that would be, that's Look, the, that's the Parks that's and Rec episode I want to watch. Let's yeah. do it. Well, I love yeah, that, so, uh, Tim. <laughs> I love it. It it broke your brain, but it makes my heart happy. So thanks for sharing. And oh, definitely a heart happy one. <laughs> yeah. Mine is not a heart happy one. So let me take a sip to cope my throat and then I'm going to go on my rant. All right. I came across, I, you know, I get some email updates from the Nevada Independent. There was a quote of the day that was shared uh, during a hearing on Bill SB 131 which seeks to codify an executive order protecting out-of-state abortion seekers in Nevada. And this quote came from State Senator Jeff Stone. He said, I don't think you want Nevada to be known for this part of our economy. We're certainly entertainment. We're sports. Do we want to include tourism for abortions to be a part of our stereotype here in Nevada? Uh, and I have many thoughts, which I'm going to share. So uh, the state Senate Majority Leader, Nicole Canizaro, her response was, this is someone who is seeking access to care that they cannot get somewhere else. Those are desperate situations. A woman or even a minor is not seeking reproductive health care as a basis for tourism. So for fun, this is my rant, for fun, because... For some reason, tourism is a part of reproductive health for women. Um, I'm 
I'm going to do a quick rundown of the types of tourism that Nevada is known for. So sports, sure. Yeah, this is pretty new though. Go Knights, huge Golden Knights fan over here. We're the wedding capital of the world. Hey, Vegas, I see you. We're also the divorce capital of the world. Reno, thank you for that. Nevada is also the only U.S. state where prostitution is legally permitted in some form in all but seven of Nevada's 17 counties, which they do operate in rural areas, but it's just a short drive out of Vegas, Carson City, or Reno, right? Uh, You have gentlemen's clubs in town proper. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And then Nevada is also currently navigating how to allow cannabis consumption lounges. Uh, We are the entertainment capital of the world. We are home of the famous residency for big name artists. I see you, Adele. Food. We have some of the best restaurants in the world. And let's not forget one of my favorite tourist pastimes, walking down the road with a guitar-sized margarita around my neck. Uh, and so you know what kind of women's health care that also welcomes tourism to Nevada? I'm going to throw this out there. Cosmetic surgeons. Um, I've never heard it disputed by lawmakers. Well, unless it's for transgender care, unfortunately. Nobody seems to mind if a woman wants to increase our breast size. But if we do want to seek reproductive medical care, it's not up to us, and that's not the kind of tourism that we want in Nevada. So that broke my brain this week. Um, That is my rant. It is absolutely absurd and ridiculous that we are trying to tie (laughs) <laughs> women's reproductive care in with tourism uh, and set it as a stereotype. Tim, I'm happy if you have any final thoughts to share. My only question is, is what is entertainment? <laughs> okay. That's a good question. Because like when I hear that, I'm like, okay, so I, I use this sparingly, but I think it's the best way to describe how this was used here that individual was using entertainment as a term of art Mm. simply because describing what the entertainment actually was argues against the point he's trying to make (laughs) because the entertainment includes prostitution. Right. Like, I'm sorry, but that is a key staple of the entertain. How like, okay, you Mm -hmm. can define prostitution in a lot of different ways, but boiling it down, it's a form of entertainment. Yep. One individual is paying another for entertainment. Like that Nevada is definitely known for. (laughs) All right. So that concludes our What Broke Your Brain segment for this week. Tim, thank you for another great conversation around NV politics. And you will hear from us next week. See y'all next week. Same bad place, same crazy podcast. (laughs) See you later. Hear you later. (laughs) 